Hello and welcome to Art Warming, the Lehigh University Pride Center's podcast for all things art and mental health. I'm Dom Ocampo, the student intern host in charge. Here you'll find interviews with the various creatives and mental health enthusiasts on campus and in the Bethlehem area, as well as highlights featuring Lehigh's artists in the making. On today's episode, we'll have Annie Norris, Mike Coben, and Andre Cronmiller of the Arts Alive podcast, talking about how they formed their project and why art is so important on Lehigh's campus. Then we'll have Sean Lusher discussing theater as a form of activism and how theater artists are staying involved during the COVID crisis. And finally, since this is our last episode, I'll be talking one more time about my history of journaling and what I've learned from making this podcast. But before that, our first highlight for this episode is LU Art Gallery's virtual event, Conversation with the Curator. On Tuesday, May 12th at 5 p.m., join LUAG for a creative combination of a craft cocktail recipe paired with a work of art from their permanent collection. Curator of collections and exhibitions, Mark Wenzeldler, will demonstrate how to mix a martini while exploring Ellsworth Kelly's green curve with a radius of 20 feet. Audiences under 21 are encouraged to join with a non-alcoholic drink. Find the Zoom link in the Lehigh website's calendar or in your daily Lehigh update emails. Cool. Okay, so today on the show, we have three lovely people from the Arts Alive podcast. I have Annie, Mike, and Andre with me. Um, I'm just going to ask that y'all introduce yourselves, talk a little bit about what you do on campus, your major, your year, just basic intro stuff. Okay, well, I'll go first. (laughs) Hi, I'm Annie. I'm in Ideas with Dom. I'm currently trying to focus on computer science and digital art with some entrepreneurship sprinkled in. I am one of the co-hosts for Arts Live podcast with Mike and Andre. I also am in the orchestra at Lehigh and on the swim team. Hello, I'm Andre. I'm a poli-sci major and a Spanish psychology minor. I do the Arts Live podcast with Annie and Mike, and I'm also part of the BSU, and I'm also an eco-rat, so that's kind of what I do around campus. Mike? I am an architecture major. I'm also part of the Steelbridge Club at Lehigh. I also was a part of a band before everything fell apart. So a little bit in the DIY scene, but I also do the Arts Alive podcast with Dre and Annie. Yay! Yeah, I know that it was it was really sucky coming into quarantine post spring break. I know there was a lot of like stuff on campus to do with the arts, like everything with music box and I was organizing some stuff for like concerts for the Pride Center all fell through. So it really sucks, but it's cool to see like y'all's podcast and a lot of other student run projects try to keep things going even if it's on Zoom. Could you guys talk a little bit about the origin of Arts Alive podcast and what might have inspired you? Um, I know I know the story, seeing it all come together, but I'm sure that people would want to know. Oh uh, yeah, Annie, go ahead. I think that's a yeah, Annie, this is this yeah. Is you. Uh, okay, so um, actually, like a few days ago, um, Lehigh's art department posted something, and it brought me back to like the end of freshman year when like I got interviewed about one of my art pieces. And I was like, this is like a really cool thing we should maybe do for other like artists and stuff, like interview them about their art, what they do. I think Mike was also working on some podcasts too for like his English class. And he was talking about art and doing things like that. And so being a part of like the Arts Alive community and also just knowing that we're going to lose that like base, but we could maybe create something that would bring other people together into this Arts Alive community. So that's kind of like how we built the podcast and what we built it around. Um, So we invite people from our Arts Alive like dorm that we used to live with. We also find, you know, other artists that we just like see doing cool things on campus or like get connected with just like naturally in passing. So 
it's been a really cool experience so far. And um, yeah, and then it's been great working with Mike and Andre. So, Mike and Andre, did you have anything to add to that? <laughs> yeah, basically what Annie said, I think Lehigh's culture is dominated like academically by like business and engineering. Um, and also there's like a large like um, Greek life vibe on campus. So, and I think like the arts and everything associated with it kind of were under the radar for a lot of students. So I think our like mission statement was to just, you know, to try to bring that more to the forefront, try to get more students uh, interested in a diverse like array of things. No, it was just uh, basically, I knew a lot of people who were kind of doing things individually. They were all very talented in their own right, but I, at least, uh, you know, just a conversation on a dreary afternoon. We were just like, we want to get everyone together to uh, express their art, be able to build off of each other, which has been a pretty big success so far. I know at least for me, uh, a different perspective, uh, perspectives shared, you know, a lot of close friends of mine, different angles of them. So it was interesting. Yeah, it definitely like made us go out of our comfort zone, I think. Like we had... Yeah. Uh, We've gone to a few like events where it's like, okay, just like, let's try this. Let's do like open podcasts. Let's like go up to this random person we've never met and say, Hey, like come to this basement and see me and record with us. Like it's, it's kind of weird, but really fun and scrappy at the same time. And like, I think what's great about it too, is that like, I don't get to see Mike and Andre every single day anymore. So like now we get to come together and make this podcast and like invite maybe our friends seen a while too and just like talk about their art and also use it as an excuse to hang out so yeah yeah like 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 mike said he used to be in a band so i think we're kind of always we're supporting each other in that like avenue and now it's it's cool to kind of like have this be a thing that we still do together you know because also we were in a band together like the three of us we like wrote a song Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Is that serious? Oh, Why didn't I know this? <laughs> I don't know what happened with that, but yeah, no, that was a uh, we we were trying to forget. Very dramatic. Yeah, very <laughs> dramatic. Band drama, heartbreak, betrayal, all of it. Yeah, let's just say we're in one. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll make it again later. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I think I agree a lot in that art is such an awesome way to connect people. If there's one thing that I've learned from starting the podcast for my internship as a response to COVID is that art is one of the really popular and helpful ways to kind of cope with everything that's going on in quarantine, even though like it kind of sucks if you're in a band or you're involved in theater and you can't really participate in the same way that you used to anymore because it's always like such a group bonding thing for a lot of people. Has art been playing, even um, outside of your y'all's work with the podcast, has art been playing a huge role in how life is going for you guys in quarantine now? Or um, how have you seen the role that art plays in your life shift since everything kind of went remote? It's uh, it's actually, quarantine has helped me a lot because beforehand I was honestly just like playing a lot live and just kind of writing and learning things that would kind of fit with the band I was in. But now I'm spending a lot of time with like music theory, where notes go and why things make sense, like why these different chords fit together or like where I can go when I'm writing. So it's been like huge for me because instead of just like watching Netflix all day, like I'm learning something, I'm studying and I'm like getting a lot better as a guitarist and a musician because I'm like taking the time to learn all the stuff that I would just never learn if i could go places you know so it's uh yeah it's been a huge help for me it's kept it's kept me sane and productive throughout the day yeah i definitely feel what mike what mike's saying um i think when you're alone in a house or just in the same space for a long period of time you get a bit like stir crazy um you know like there's like a lot of like anxiety and like you just kind of feel cooped up so i've kind of been like relearning how to play cello and piano while i've been home um and it's kind of 
kind of like what Mike said. It's like it's yet like most of it is that it's a distraction, but it's also like you're learning new interesting skills too. So it's like a nice blend between like practical and like emotional, <laughs> like welfare basically. I love that you're playing the cello again. Yay! Yes, yes. Awesome. That's exciting. Actually, now that I have time to practice, I'll actually bring it into play. No, like I can find some violin cello duets so fast. Like I literally wish I played cello, but yes, I'm a violinist and I actually I joined orchestra for the first time this semester and it got cut in half. I got one concert in and it honestly like brought back my love for playing and it's really helped me a lot in this like quarantine because violin used to be this very stressful like thing for me and like always trying to be perfect like as a little kid like having really mean violin teachers telling me like you have to be exactly like do everything right so like now I have a great violin teacher who's not like that and it's more about like loving the music and like really makes me want to play and I found that I use it a lot more as like a stress relief tool between like classes so I'll just like pick it up instead of, you know, designating a whole two hours and like I have to play and I have to practice really well. So like I really enjoyed that and playing more casual music too is really fun. Like I don't like classical all the time, but that's usually what like my repertoire is. And so um, I've been able to like search for new things to do and to play and like I love it. Yeah, like, I agree that, like, a lot of the time, like, I brought my guitar to school last year in a short time this year. And when you're surrounded with so many people and there's so much to do on campus, playing guitar or anything feels kind of like work or like a waste of time when you could be doing literally anything else with other people. And it's been really nice to be home. I mean, it sucks why we're home, but it's nice to be home and, like, rediscover why you enjoy doing all these different musical things and to have the time to be patient learning things. Like what Mike said about learning things with guitar that you never would find the time to do outside of the situation like I never had the patience to sit down and learn music by ear if I couldn't find it online and now like I don't have anything else to do with my time um so it's really nice to have that bit of positivity back but on that note for your podcast for the people that y'all have interviewed and the kind of conversations that you've had have you learned about other kind of artsy slash creative outlets that people have that has stuck with you more than others what would you say might be a learning experience that y'all have had um doing this together i would say owen Todhouse, right that was his last name that was a huge like like another dimension of like expression that i was exposed to like he's really big into like fashion and product design and like you know for like a while up until this semester as dre knows i wasn't really focused on how i dressed it was more just like throw on jeans and a t-shirt kind of thing but then he was like going into like these different combinations and like personality expression and like it really like he was talking about a lot about how like what a person wears you can kind of get like a vibe or a feeling from them that's like totally true you know like there's different things you can wear that make you more approachable and like other things that are not it's like really interesting and he was just like talking about this and it was just so in depth it really blew me away i mean he was like really well versed in it and that that really stuck with me a lot because i i had no idea you know i always thought of like an art or music but there was like a whole different expression i wasn't even aware of he's one of those people who it's like he made the transition between like being the business school frat guy to like, oh, I'm going to take this jump and do like art and like major in fashion design and like really deep dive into that and like now has his own business, all this stuff. It's super cool. And now like I'm exposed to like this different type of style. Like I follow him on Instagram and like 
seeing all of his outfits and stuff like that's so cool and I never expected that from like looking at him you know and I think you get that a lot with Lehigh students like you just see them and you're like oh yeah you're like in international relations and like you do all this stuff and you're like super into like politics but like also I have a comic book and I sell you know stickers online and like it's it's awesome like I think that's probably been like the coolest thing to see is like just the person behind like we usually meet these people through art but like then seeing like who they appear to be to everybody else like the layers to that and then also like for me when we started like it was kind of trying to find our balance I think was the hardest part like how to jump in or like say things on top of each other and then once we kind of found like our rhythm we ended up doing the style and I think the funniest part is like at the end of our podcast asking so like what are your next moves? Like, what does the future hold for like you as an artist? And everybody is just like, <gasps> and like, now we have to start like, yeah. kind of buffer that and to make it more comfortable for that person. Cause it's literally such a hard, like all of us, honestly, like really struggle with that. We're in this like very, you know, weird part in our life. And like art wise, no idea. School wise, no idea. Career wise, no idea. And so like, I think that's kind of one of the cool things like to figure out as we move forward with a person during our podcast. But. Yeah, I'm kind of um, with what Annie said. I think when you see their art, you expect them to be like these like, like, I guess like larger than life kind of personalities. But it's like when you meet them, it's like they're very like, a lot of them are just like very normal. And it's just like an idea that they had that they tried. Um, so then when you're talking to them, it's like, I don't know, it's just it was I think what shocked me was like, how normalized it was for them to be talking about it, which I did because like, I didn't realize that like, obviously, if like you're dealing with like a certain like, art medium like every single day like you're not gonna be like bill gates like talking about microsoft you know like it's just gonna be like something that you're passionate about that you're talking about so i thought that was interesting yeah oh my god the kind of people that i've gotten to talk to i know exactly the feeling y'all are talking about where like you read about all the kind of stuff they do for their job or whatever project that they've created and it's like it is like so otherworldly to read about it and look at all of their work and then you talk to them about it and they're just a normal person who like is really passionate about yeah, something exactly which kind of goes to show that like anybody can really um start up whatever creative products that they have yeah. something that we talk about a lot for this project specifically is that a lot of people have felt up until quarantine that art or music or fashion or whatever is something that you can only do if you're already good at it when in actuality like you don't have to be good at something to enjoy it and to get better at it for my last question i was gonna ask all three of you if you were to interview any artist or any creative, whether they're a huge celebrity or someone tiny that nobody else but you knows, who would you have on the podcast? Personally, there's this local Connecticut band that I follow now. It's called Queen Moo. You should check them out. They're pretty good. It's just like this guy and his friends, from what I gather, and he's got like a 50s like Elvis kind of voice, but he mixes it with like indie rock. So it's got all these like really interesting chord shapes. And then you have like this dude with like those 50 voice and it's just like really good. And I just like, I just want to get in their heads, you know, like a people that really like, cause you can like, you can like really like practice something, you know, really well. I think most people can be exceptional when it comes to music or art, but there's just like a couple of people that I listen to and I know that like theoretically I can get there, but it just like, it seems like it clicks for them. I just want to see how they think that band in particular. Like I just really like them. So bring them on pick their brain you 
I would probably say Lenny Kravitz. I don't know. I think he's just a very multi-talented person. Like he's like a great guitarist. He's a great singer. And I don't know. I just think he's one of those like unique talents. And also like I think for what he was doing at the time he was doing it, it was pretty revolutionary. So I think that's who I'd pick. Oh my gosh, I'm like reeling. I'm like trying to go through everything. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's um, my favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, so I just watched Hollywood last night, and I'm a huge fan of Darren Chris, and, like, I think he's so cool. I don't know. I just, that that's one of the first things that came to mind, just, like, how musically talented he is and, like, his acting and stuff, too. Another thing that came to mind was, like, there are these two, like, violinists that, like, talk about or, like, total geeks about orchestra and violin, and I just love watching their stuff. Like, I'm not really into musicians in their lives, like more like actors, I think. I, I dive deep into that, but like these two kids are like awesome. They're so funny and they bring on like really famous like violinists. I think it'd be fun to like interview them. Good answers. Um, thank you for talking with me, y'all. Um, where can people find you in your podcast? We're at the Arts Live podcast on Instagram and you can also listen to our podcast on our website at artslivepodcast.wixsite.com. I think it's, um, you can just like access everything through our uh, bio and our Instagram. And then we're also available on Spotify and Google Play and like other platforms. Yeah, do we have those stickers? Are those up and running? Yeah, no, I have yeah. them. Um, okay, great. I'm, I'm really excited about like sending them out. So like if anyone wants any, they are available on the front page for our website and you'll get like a handwritten note from me and I'll ship them your way. Y'all got merch? Wow. Y'all are serious, uh, serious. <laughs> yes, Annie. Annie's the powerhouse. Thanks, guys. I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much, y'all. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Thank you so much to Annie, Mike, and Andre for joining me on the podcast to talk about the things that we really love. They're some of my favorite people, and being able to talk with them on Zoom even for a little while warmed my heart from inside my four-bedroom walls. Um, please be sure to check out their podcast and even buy some of their cute little stickers. I am constantly impressed by all their hard work, and their episodes are such a fun, personal escape from the finals grind. Before we get to Sean, our next highlight this episode is Act Like You Know 12.0, the final film for theater department head Kashi Johnson's Act Like You Know hip-hop theater class. Act Like You Know is a non-traditional college theater course where identity and social justice issues are remixed with devised hip-hop performance techniques, culminating in a theatrical production as its final exam. Due to COVID-19, the class's final performance could not be performed live, so Kashi and her students created an hour and 30 minute long film showcasing all their hard work. Find this inspiring performance on Kashi Johnson's YouTube page. So today on the show, we have Sean Lesher. His pronouns are he, him, his, and he's a dramaturg and new play doula based in the Lehigh Valley region of PA. As a dramaturg, he has worked on productions at Lehigh University and a workshop production of Raw Pasta by Maya McDonald at the 2019 Ice Factory Festival at the New Ohio in NYC. In his local theater community, Sean's a co-founder and the literary manager of Emerge Theater Company, co-created the Allentown Public Theater's play reading series, Theater Cafe, 
Play and has produced various readings and new play festivals throughout the region. He's also proud to be a reader and nominator for a number of organizations dedicated to the advocacy and development of new work, including the Kilroy's Normal Lab, 50 Playwrights Project, and Playpen. His dream is to one day run a theater dedicated to bold new plays somewhere remote like Montana. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Sean. Sean actually was the dramaturg um, when I was in Smart People last semester, um, and that's how we met. Your research and your passion for theater in general was so helpful um, through that experience um, my fall semester. But on that note, what drove you towards theater? Like, how early did you get this involved or realize you wanted to get involved? I, I mean, I grew up in a theater-loving family. I grew up with a family that played lots of show tunes all the time. And I remember seeing children's theater as a kid, but I didn't really know that I wanted to get involved in it to this extent until, like, after college, when I started just learning about all of, um, especially about all the inequity going on in theater um, in terms of the hiring practices and especially when it comes to playwrights. It's getting better, definitely. But I mean, a couple of years ago, there was a study done that basically showed that 80% of the plays being produced every year were directed by cis white men. Women obviously fell behind that. It was even worse for uh, people of color. And then for trans and non-binary writers, it was basically non-existent. So that really inspired me to dig into a diverse array of writers who were just making bold, exciting work out there. And then that got me interested in thinking about the work he produced and how it connects to the community. And I honestly think Lehigh is doing a great job with that because they always seem to pick work that really is challenging and says a lot. I mean, I looked, especially I looked at smart people where it's just like, I don't know any other college that would do something like that. Not only because it's a, it's a four-person cast and three of the people are people of color, and it's a play on racism that definitely doesn't let white people off the hook. Yeah, and those, those kind of works is what I'm passionate about. It's, it's, um, and any way I can be involved in that and, and help you actors through my research um, find the truth in your character so we can tell this story um, that needs to be told. And hopefully there were people in that audience that decided to go out and change some things about their lives. I was a musical theater director for middle school students, but um, I just wasn't finding satisfaction in that work, especially when I was just seeing all of the different communities and all the different voices that were being neglected in the theater world. And so basically I fell into theater as a form of advocacy and a form of protest. I completely agree with the idea that a lot of schools or theater programs for students in general really play towards what the audience is going to be most comfortable with. And I was so surprised coming into Lehigh. I talked about this briefly in um, the last episode, but I came from a Catholic background. Lehigh was my first experience outside of Catholic schooling. And I tried to get as involved in theater as possible in the few opportunities that I did. But because of the audience that they were catering to, it was very much much whitewashed, playing it safe musicals all the time. And there were so few people of color involved in those theater companies that held so much talent. And I'm not just saying that to like gas myself up, but I knew so many people who came from really awesome theater backgrounds and auditioned for these roles and didn't get it solely because of their race. So coming to Lehigh and then seeing smart people, you know, last semester where it's not just a cast that requires a diverse perspective, it would literally be inappropriate and shameful if the characters were casted outside of the races that were specified. 
And the attitude that smart people had toward not letting the white audience get away with their uncomfortable feelings and feelings of fragility, especially there's that saying that, you know, it's 2020, this shouldn't be a problem anymore. You couldn't walk out of that play feeling good about the state of your community. Exactly. And I, and I think a lot of colleges, especially in our area, they, they feel like they're doing a good thing by like, I mean, not to say that these are bad plays, but like if they are going to do a play that focuses, that features um, people of color, they'll do August Wilson or they're going to do A Raise in the Sun because they almost look at that like, well, that's that's back then. We don't have that problem anymore. So we can go, we can watch these plays, we can pat ourselves on the back about how far we've come. But Lydia Diamond wrote this play saying like, no, 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 it's happening right now. Yeah, it's so timely. I love what you said earlier about art and theater especially being used as activism and as a form of protest. I think we can both agree that intersectionality is especially important in theater. There is a common argument that you know, the race or gender or identities of an actor or director shouldn't be relevant to the story that you're telling. Everybody is capable of having said talents. What would you say in response to that, especially within theater, how you feel intersectionality affects the audience regardless of what the play is about? It's kind of like going into this whole idea of like colorblind casting, mm-hmm. when people kind of just like be like, it doesn't matter what color somebody is and it's, it's whoever, but it's like, well, first of all, in the world we live in, we're not colorblind. So, like, why pretend in theater that it doesn't matter? Obviously, like, yes, okay, if we're going to be doing an August Wilson show, you need to make sure that black people are cast in that production because it would be inappropriate to do otherwise. But what I think you're talking about, too, is we need to be also be doing, like, I mean, I saw um, Blood Spirit at uh, Lehigh, too, and um, the lead in that play was a woman of color. So we need to see things like that, too, because I feel like when we only put people of color in shows that are about racism and about oppression or or putting Latinx people in plays that are only about immigration, does us all a disservice because it kind of just it forces stereotypes that we see in other people. Where if you like just look at, I mean, my spirit is a perfect example where you're just like, okay, like this is just a normal person. This is a person who falls in love and has regular like real everyday problems that has nothing to do with the color of their skin you couldn't watch that production and say like and not notice that but i think that also i think that just adds an extra layer yeah it just it just really opens up our minds to the idea that the experiences we see in theater and especially in these plays that we consider oh these plays aren't about race they're just about everyday people and everything everyday the, the everyday people in america look a lot different than who's considered everyday people both historically and currently theater. Something that I've seen you working on on Instagram and Facebook where you've been organizing Zoom play reading since quarantine started for COVID. Um, I feel like now especially theater is such an outlet for mental health and you know for that feeling of normalcy. It's so jarring because I know for Lehigh Godspell was a huge production that got dismantled because of COVID and that was so so heartbreaking. It felt like theater couldn't go on until this quarantine was lifted. So seeing the efforts that you and other people are making to make it remote and accessible is awesome. How do you see it especially important now for theater to be accessible to people, whether it be for mental health reasons or for any reason at all? I know theater accessibility is a really important topic in general, but it feels especially important to talk about now. I mean, I think the most important thing, first of all, is there's no right and wrong way to do it. I've been in touch with a lot of theater artist friends of mine 
who just don't feel the drive to create during this time. And that's totally understandable. We're in a time right now where people are dying out there. And survival, especially survival of the common community, is so important right now. So, I mean, I do not begrudge anyone that's in a place right now that's just like, I can't, I can't make. And like, I've, to be honest, it's been a day by day thing. There are days where I'm super passionate about making art during this time. And there's days where I'm just like, what's the point? So I'm just going to sit here and watch reruns of the Golden Girls. But then I've also read a lot of stuff of people almost like wagging their, like there was a medium article that came out that was just like, why are people making art right now? It's not theater because we're not, it's not live. So why even do it right now? And I, I mean, yes, we all know it's not theater, but for those of us who do have the energy and the passion to keep trying to make art during this time, it's a huge thing and it's definitely helped me a lot. I mean, with these play readings I'm putting together, I'm not posting them, I'm not recording them. It's literally just plays I love with actors I love and we're just going to basically do what we would do if we could get into a living room together. We're just gonna read a play and just see how that goes. I mean, I've also just been a fan of folks that are really, um, I'm going to shout out a company called Normal Ave. They're an off-off-Broadway theater company in New York. And they're doing this thing called Corn Screen, where basically they, they commission playwrights to write a play based on a title. And they're like 10-minute plays. And the great thing about it is they're written specifically for Zoom. And that's what I'm loving right now, where I'm seeing these, I'm seeing theater artists. They're, they're like short films they're making. They're making theater specifically for Zoom. We're not, they're not going on saying, like, imagine we're in a cafe or imagine we're doing this. We're doing that. I'm like, no, we are at separate homes. We're over Zoom. That's what that's what we have right now. So it's been great to see stuff like that. And I think, yeah, it's it's a huge thing. It's a huge part of mental health because, I mean, we need those creative outlets. And I think, I mean, this podcast has been great because almost every episode I've heard so far has been just about some way that someone is coping through this time through art. And for us theater artists, our medium, we depend on being in rooms together. And we can't do that right now. Some of us just don't have the energy or the or the, the drive to do that. And that's totally, totally understandable. But for some of us that do, like, we just need to keep going on and, and making work. I mean, I'm also kind of treating this time as, like, I'm going to meet as many playwrights and talk to as many cool people as I can. So when we can open up again, we'll figure out a way to all make art together again. A lot of the struggle with mental health and coping is coming down to not being able to be in rooms with other people. For me especially, through my work in theater and the Pride Center and the different clubs that I'm in, so, so much of my energy is devoted to just meeting with people and talking. So I'm glad to have this podcast to keep doing that remotely and seeing how people are transitioning. You know, the different lounges that offices at Lehigh are making through Zoom calls to make sure that students still have that outlet to see each other and be with each other is super inspiring. It really is. And, and my heart really goes out to everyone, and, and especially in the form arts education, just because, I mean, it's your classes literally depend on people being together. It's not, it's not like other courses where it's a lot easier to assign remotely homework and everything. I'm actually working with uh, Diane Wagner, who runs the theater department at Charter Arts High School, which is just down the hill from Lehigh. And their, their senior year playwrights, they usually have a new play festival, but it just got canceled. So I'm working with her and uh, some of the playwrights there to um, basically have Zoom calls talking about their play. But also, like I, I brought the idea of like, what if I reached out to some of my professional actor friends, either from Philadelphia or New York, some of whom should have been in Broadway shows <laughs> that we're supposed to open right now. 
And I'm like, what if we give these kids an opportunity not only to see their work done, but like to see their work worked on with actors? And it's just been, and it's also just been amazing to see actor friends of mine just like be like, yes, like please let's let's work on something. I need to I need to work on stuff. And because yeah, I mean everybody in the arts, I think we're just really really hurting. When another thing like this happens again, like what are we gonna do not only to preserve the art we're making, but like what about like the livelihoods of all these artists who saw their entire year of employment get taken away and i mean luckily a lot of theaters have been doing the right thing and honoring contracts but i've heard from too many actor friends who are getting calls from artistic directors saying like oh yeah you know that show we were going to do well obviously it's canceled and we will not be paying any of your salary for the show so i mean uh looking at that and i think uh, i think a big part of that has to, has to have the conversation about what do we really value and where are we putting our money are we putting our money into these big state-of-the-art facilities or shouldn't we be putting it into the artists and the actors and the, the playwrights and the designers because those are the ones that are working right now to keep giving us content it's a complicated situation to be in financially really emotionally yeah. for me the same day that all broadway shows closed by the new york governor I was in New York going to see Book of Mormon with my boyfriend and we got the email and we're like, crap, we're already here. And it was so disappointing, but I couldn't even imagine what that looked like for the actors who were in it because that's a month where you're not doing what you've trained so hard and practiced so much to do. And being an actress myself, like the thrill and the happiness and like the pure serotonin that kind of courses through you when you're out there and doing what you love is incomparable to anything else so it really really sucks and that's an understatement to um, not be able to do that now but i think that the efforts that people are doing to make sure that everybody's mental health is in check and still able to practice their art in some way while we're all stuck at home is so valiant and so necessary even but yeah thank you so much Thank you, Sean. Sean was such a massive help in my understanding of my character in Smart People last fall, and he's so passionate and smart in everything he does. If you're interested in seeing more of his work on intersectionality and COVID theater initiatives, or if you're just a huge theater nerd and want some bold new play recommendations, check him out on Instagram at Seanaturgy. That's at S-H-A-U-N-A-T-U-R-G-Y. To stick with our usual structure, we'll have one more highlight before I start rambling about how much I love to journal. Um, To keep it sweet and simple, I figured I'd sing another song. So here's another one of my favorites of all time. It's called Novels by Rusty Clinton. Oh, 
let's save up for something new And someday I won't have to wait for you What if I asked? What if I asked you to stay? What if it cost you your heart? And someday I won't have to wait for you Hello, hello, we're back! I hope you enjoyed my cover of Novels. It's been one of my favorite songs since forever, like maybe eight years, and I hope I did it justice. I just recently learned it on guitar, so I'm a little nervous about it. Um, but it's kind of crazy to think that this is the last artwarming episode. I thought that 
you know, making this podcast at the beginning of quarantine, it was going to feel a ways away before the semester ended, but now everything's wrapping up and it feels like everything really sped by. And I have this podcast largely to thank for that because it gave me some really empowering work to do and had me connect with some really, really awesome people over this stressful time. So I'm glad that I had the opportunity to be here and to talk with all of y'all. I figured because I've talked about this so many times on the podcast briefly that for this special three-segment episode for our little wrap-up, I would talk about why, when, and how I started journaling. Journaling, it's not a secret to all of my close friends. It's one of my favorite pastimes, one of the most impactful pastimes that I have. I've been doing it for forever. It really goes back to when I was tiny, a really little kid. I've always loved writing and reading and storytelling. I still have that huge attachment to storytelling and it's followed through to what I want to do as a career now. So when I was six or seven, it kind of made sense that I wanted to start documenting my own life story, even though there wasn't much going on for me as a kid then. I remember very vividly my first diary or journal was this itty bitty Barbie themed notebook. I'm the oldest of three. I have this memory of writing about my baby brother in the hospital room on the day he was born. I think I was six at the time and I was sitting on the floor in the corner of the hospital room and my grandma was there playing music to calm him down because he was crying up a storm. And I just wrote about him and I wrote about how excited I was to have another younger sibling. The magic of being able to go back to that time because I was writing in that moment and remember it with that much detail is so crazy to be able to read the way I thought when I was that age. And I'm really lucky to still have a lot of my life's history documented because I kept journaling. After that, I wrote through all of middle school with this feverish, childish excitement about everything. There were so many huge life moments that happened then. In that time, my best friend was moving to Germany for two years because of her dad's job, and I wrote about what that was like to be going to school without her. I wrote about participating in my very first theater production, which is literally what I want to do as a job now. I wrote about attempting to write a fiction book for the first time. I was literally going through that journal a couple of days ago with that same best friend who went to Germany. And it's so clear that writing was so important to me at the time. It was one of the healthiest ways that I could get through my adolescence. Even writing about the mundane things like the errands that I ran with my family and the homework that I had to do. It just gave me an outlet and somebody to talk to that wasn't really there. And now I like to think that I'm really good at describing how I feel, especially in therapy and being specific about it and clear about it. And I attribute a lot of that to growing up journaling and going through my early feelings and experiences on paper. But there was definitely a point when I started slowing down. It was late middle school, maybe eighth grade. That was when my symptoms of depression first started cropping up and I didn't have the energy to write anymore. And when I did write, it was to talk about how sad I was because I wouldn't do it with anyone out loud. Arguably, that was the time I needed to write the most, even if it was about nothing at all. It is so important to process those complicated feelings, even if it's not with a real person. And I stopped that kind of out of shame because I didn't want to have to look my feelings in the face. It was almost as if if I didn't write it down, then it wasn't happening because I wrote everything down. So now there's this huge gap in my journaling timeline because of it, which makes me really sad because there's so much of my life that I can relive and then 
there's these few years where I just went radio silent, but I really understand it. And I wish that I could go back to my tiny self and say that it's okay to confront your feelings and it's okay to keep writing and doing what you love. In high school, early high school, maybe the end of freshman year, I remembered how much I loved it. But combined with the repression and depression that I wasn't addressing, I kind of lost that energy. Sitting down and taking pen to paper just seemed like a lot <laughs> when I barely had the energy to do like my homework. But I still wanted to try because it was something I remembered being so passionate about. So I kind of made a compromise with myself and I said that I'd only write when something important was happening. But the catch with that is that then the journal stopped being my happy place and my place to just kind of write about whatever I want and it started looking like a place to shelve all of my trophies. It felt like I needed to pick the most important times in my life to do this thing I was passionate about or it wasn't worth it. I kind of hopped back and forth between that trophy mentality and then writing about anything and everything again all throughout high school, but it was really once I got to mid-freshman year in college that I remembered that journaling is literally for my eyes only. Something that I had completely forgotten in trying to rediscover this passion was that it doesn't need to be perfect and just being honest and doing what I want in it is enough. Like if I spelled a word wrong or spilled coffee on the paper or anything like that, a lot of the times through high school I would rip the page out and start all over. Like it had to be this very pretty looking thing. So the second I stopped caring about that, it was like all of that childish energy that I had came spiraling back at me, which was such an awesome feeling. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the benefits of journaling, for me at least, and why I advocate for it so much. It can feel like a chore if you approach it with the wrong attitude, and I definitely learned that the hard way, but at the end of the day, journaling is a place where you can process and you can reread and highlight and annotate and really visualize what you need to work through and come back to it when you forget about it. So for example, after every therapy session, I try to journal and write down everything that me and my therapist talked about so that in weeks to come, if I'm struggling with something or trying to remember the advice that she gave me, I have a record of it and I can keep reminding myself of it. But at the end of the day, it's just a place to celebrate your life's history, write about what you're proud of and your favorite things and even the mundane moments. And then years to come, when you reopen that journal and you read those entries, it's going to be magical to look back at no matter what. It's the same as when you're looking back at old photos on Snapchat or you're going through an old scrapbook that your parents made. Being able to see the little things that were happening to you, especially written in your own words, is so crazy. And it's so fun. But I think the most important part for me is that sometimes, especially if you're struggling with your mental health, healing doesn't mean being brave enough to process out loud. That can be a giant step. And even talking to a therapist and being truthful about what you're going through can be super hard for some people. You have to take it one step at a time. So sometimes healing means admitting things to yourself and convincing yourself of it. And that is hard and painful and confusing. And I'm saying that from firsthand experience, but your journal will not judge you. Your journal isn't a person. So you can literally write about whatever you want, however you want, and be as raw and honest and explicit as you're comfortable and you can go at your own pace. And having that outlet and being able to understand yourself by yourself is such an empowering feeling. If I were to go back to my middle school and high school self and give myself some tips about journaling, there's so many things that I would say. I definitely thought that it was an activity where you sat down at the end of a day and tried to remember every single thing that happened to you. Writing down the music that I was listening to while I was writing and the time that I started the entry and the places I went, even if it was just like grocery shopping with my parents. But if it's 
starts to feel tedious and like work, you'll stop liking it. The point is to have fun with it and reap the benefits, not one or the other. I think that pressure comes from wanting to be able to look back in future years and remember everything with vivid detail. But you should be writing for your present self and not your future self who's looking back at how your life used to be. And on that note, don't just write when you have something interesting to say. I regret that so much. Keep your journal somewhere close and when you have jittery energy you don't know where to put, maybe try writing your thoughts out instead. I'll have a lot of moments, especially during quarantine, where I'll have literally nothing to do, but I'll just be bouncing off of the walls, so I'll write about literally anything and everything that's on my mind. Whether that be the new Hayley Williams album that I have not stopped listening to since it came out, or how many times that I went running this week. It just feels good and it'll make your journal feel more like your own. Another thing, decorate it, get it messy, don't be afraid to ruin it. Literally, if you spell something wrong or spill coffee on it, like I said earlier, or rip a page by accident, see it as another piece of history that you documented instead of a mistake. Cover it in stickers, draw all over the cover, do what you want with it. If you start seeing the little quote-unquote flaws or stains on it as mistakes, then you're just going to become extremely perfectionist about it, and it's not going to be a safe space for you anymore. And lastly, don't be ashamed of it. For some reason, it's coded as something super feminine and weirdly shameful to have a diary or a journal, but it's just as valid of an art outlet as any other. It's a way to express your feelings and understand them, whether it be literally or abstractly. If you hang on to that shame, then you're not gonna write as much as you want to, and eventually you'll drop the hobby. But yeah, I guess that's that on the segment and on the podcast. It's been really amazing to hear so many people's different perspectives. And as I said earlier, it's given me and so many others an outlet during COVID. It's kept my passion for the arts a constant part of my routine, which I haven't had in a long time. Being on campus and moving from place to place, I forgot about how much music and art and writing really mean to me and how in touch with myself I feel when I do those things. So I have a lot of people to thank and I have all of you to thank for listening and keeping track of this project as this semester has come to a close. So with that being said, thank you for listening to Artwarming. Whether you've been listening from the first episode or this was your introduction to the project, I'm so grateful to have had your support even for a short amount of time. If for any reason you'd still like to reach out, please email me at dro222 at lehigh.edu or DM me on Instagram at art.warming. Today's transition music was written and recorded by yours truly, and thank you from the bottom of my heart to Mel Kitchen and Chelsea Gilbert for all their support as intern advisors. I hope you're all staying happy and healthy wherever you are.